All right, good morning. How are y'all? Good? Coming out on a rainy Sunday morning. Isn't that fun? Thanks. Thanks for being here. My name is Fred. Uh, I get to be the lead pastor here, and I am so glad that you are here. And here uh, is what I've been praying today, whether you're here in person or whether you're joining us online. Um, I pray that today you get to meet Jesus exactly where you need him today. Um, We're going to have a a couple of moments in the sermon that I hope and pray will foster that. Uh, But just know I've been praying for you um, uh, since I started writing this message uh, a couple of weeks ago. And so I pray that that Jesus will meet you right where you need him the most. And I pray that you will be open to that. Because often in my life, that's the biggest problem. Right? It's not Jesus being willing to meet me. It's me being willing to meet Jesus. And so I pray that that happens today. And if you're joining us uh, here or online, we've been doing this interactive uh, worship for you where we give you a prompt uh, to kind of help think through the message. If you're more than an auditory learner and, and, and you want to write and take notes and, and draw things, the, today you're going to hear the word blessed a lot. Uh, and so, so grab a, a piece of paper, whatever you have to write on, you can write the word blessed. And, and this psalm says it a lot, and we're going to talk about it a lot. And, and what I want you to do is to kind of, from that word, draw clues about what you hear about the word blessed. Because it is one of those words that gets thrown around a lot, isn't it? And today we're going to talk about what that means. We'll go ahead and turn to Psalm 128. Um, that's where we are in this series called Coming Home. We're, we're, we're highlighting the Psalms of Ascent. And these are particular Psalms in the book of Psalms uh, that were written for the nation of Israel. Well, they were written for actually very different reasons, some of them. But, but the nation of Israel compiled them as their playlist when they traveled to Jerusalem for, for holy days and for feast. And so what this songbook is, it's the songs that they would sing as they were making that journey from the place they lived, wherever it was, to the place they called home. And that's what these chairs up here represent. They represent people that we are praying for that are on that journey uh, from the place they live, wherever it is, to the place they call home. Uh, It represents us sitting in these chairs as we too are on this journey from the place that we live to the place that we call home, heaven. And the reason... There's so many different types of chairs up here is that I've asked you to, to bring chairs and to tell me the stories about who the chairs represent. And it's cool. Some of them represent family. Some of them represent friends. Some of them represent people at work. Um, and so the stories behind them are all unique and beautiful. Now, as we're preparing for, for Psalm 128, I want to tell you a little bit about um, uh, our offices before we had this building almost five years ago now, which is crazy. Uh, our offices were in the Flatiron Building. That's when we as a church were meeting at the Downtown Y. Y'all remember that days, those of you that were here then? Um, oftentimes in that office in the Flatiron, I would just go for a walk downtown just to kind of clear my head. Right? Any, anybody else do that? You just got to get out of the office for a little bit to kind of clear your head. Well, being the extrovert that I am, I would start up conversations with people just randomly walking down the streets of Asheville. Sometimes seeing people with a map, looking confused. I would ask them if they needed help. Uh, and then sometimes I would just see somebody sitting on a bench and I would be sitting there. Or maybe I was already sitting there and they would come sit with me and we'd strike up a conversation. Well, Downtown Asheville being what downtown Asheville is, oftentimes a lot of those people that really wanted to get in a conversation were people that were experiencing homelessness. 
Right? And so they were downtown, and so we would strike up conversations. And I got to know um, um, some of, of those people that were experiencing homelessness fairly well in my time. And one of them in particular I got to know really well. And, and, and uh, he was a guy who had this history of addiction. Um, he was in recovery, but through his eyes, I got to see just how much of a struggle addiction can be. Right, the ups and downs of it. I never knew him to have more than uh, to have a job for more than one day. Like he was the definition. His life was the definition of hard. Right, and um, when I asked him what his name was early on in our friendship, uh, he said something that struck me as odd. Because when I asked him, I said, "So, so what's your name?" And he said, "This is his name, Happy." Right, And I thought that was so strange because when I look at his life, it is everything but unhappy. And yet, like his name fit him. His name uh, was happy. Now, now, happy was a follower of Jesus, is a follower of Jesus. And even in the midst of addiction and struggle, he always seemed happy. And I feel like I need to say he was in recovery because like, if you hear the story, you might think, well, I know why he was happy, right? Like, like, but as long as I knew him, I never knew him to take a drink or do drugs, which is powerful. Powerful, and yet his life was still hard. Well, one day I was walking downtown. I noticed I hadn't seen Happy in a couple of weeks, and so I know that he was uh, had a spot at Homeward Bound where he would keep stuff. And I knew some people that worked there. If you're not familiar with Homeward Bound, they're an organization uh, that their mission is to is to help people transition from experiencing homeless to permanent housing, which is gosh such hard complicated work, but that's what they do. And I knew if anybody knew Happy, uh, they, would, they would, because they have a, kind of their thumb on the pulse of the homeless community. And so I called and talked to someone I knew and, and was talking to them, and I said, okay, so here's the deal. I'm a pastor, and I know, like, I don't want you to give me any information. You can't, but I'm, I know this guy, and, and uh, I know his history a little bit, and we've had great conversations, and I pray for him often, and, and I just want to know if y'all have seen him. And the woman on the phone, like, I'll never forget what she said. She said, well, what's his name? And I said, happy. And she goes, which one? And I said, how many are there? And she said, more than you would think. She said, it's actually very common for someone whose life is, is just every way of hard that you can imagine to change their name to happy. Because it is a reminder to them of happiness is there for them. And that even in the hardships of life, they can still be happy. Now, I don't know if that's what my happy did, but all I knew is his life was hard and his name was happy and there was more than one of them. Right? Now, I know... In the church world, happy gets a bad rap, right? Not the person, but the word, right? Because here's what we say in the church world. If you're new to church, uh, I'm going to introduce you to, to a concept that might be unfamiliar to you because in the church, we prefer the word joy instead of happy, right? Because we say happy, the word happy is connected to circumstances. You can only be happy if your circumstances are good, but joy, joy is a good Christian word, right? It's one of the fruits of the spirits, right? We, we like that one because you can have joy in any circumstance, what if, y'all, what if being happy wasn't separated from joy? What if being happy is actually a biblical idea? 
But what if being happy biblically looks different than we think it does? Well, that's what we're going to see today. And and a question for us that I want to kind of bounce around in your head and ponder uh, as we go through today's message is how far are we willing to go to experience God's way of happiness? How far are we willing to go to experience God's way of happiness? Right? I met a man who, who I believe changed his name to experience God's way of happiness. Right? How, how far are we willing to go? What are you willing to leave behind to be able to embrace God's way of happiness? Are you willing to let Jesus meet you in those places that you would label as, as unhappy places? And are you willing to let Jesus show you how to be happy even in those places? Well, that's what I want to sit with you as we go through this psalm today. Now, we're going to be in Psalm 128, and it starts off like this. It starts off with the word blessed. Right? It's, a, it's the very first word in here. And this word blessed is a strange word because, because we use it in all different kinds of ways. Like, do you remember the, the thing? I see it every once in a while, not very often, but do you remember like the hashtag blessed? Right? When everything's going your way, it's hashtag blessed. Front row seats, Taylor Swift, hashtag blessed. <laughs> right? Like, like, that's what we did. Everything's going your way, right? Or maybe here in the South, this is the version I actually uh, find myself using a lot. When somebody does something not so smart, what do we say? Oh, bless. Right? Like we use this word a lot, but what we're going to see today is that, is that this word actually has meaning in Scripture. In the psalm that we're looking at, the English word blessed actually comes from two different Hebrew words. And, and this first word that we see is the word asher. That's what it is in Hebrew. Guess what asher means? I'll give you a clue. I told you about a guy who had the name. Happy. Asher, blessed, means happy. It means happy, right? Now what does God say about happy, about being happy. It says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, right? Now, fears the Lord. This is another thing that gets thrown around a lot. Like, like what does fear the Lord mean? Today, as I was reading this morning, and I'm reading through Isaiah, which, whew, that is a book, right? And here's what I love about reading through prophecy books in the Old Testament. Don't stop at the bad stuff. The good stuff is there. Like, you always see God's mercy in the midst of his judgment. And so if you're reading Isaiah, just keep going. If you're going to stop somewhere, stop at God's mercy, right? You see the judgment, but it's there with and because of God's mercy. And and one of the things that's said today is that God doesn't take his words back, right? Like when he speaks something, it is true. And in Scripture, you don't see God apologizing for his words. Now, we can hear that and be like, oh, man, like fear the Lord. That's like, dude, that's God, right? And that's one way to, to, to think about it. But what's, what's incredible about fearing the Lord and incredible about the way the Bible describes fearing the Lord is that it's not just this intellectual ascent, right? It, it, it actually manifests itself in something physical. It manifests itself in, something, in, in, in some behavior, which is why in the Psalms, sometimes it throws out a phrase and then the next line defines that phrase for us. And that's what happens here. It says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. And this is what the songwriter means by that. Who walks in his ways. Happy is everyone 
who fears the Lord, which means happy is everyone who lives in God's way of life, who does what God says to do, who doesn't do what God says not to do, right? The person who fears the Lord is the person who lives life the way God has designed us to live life. It's living life God's way. Right? It's the person who lives in light of God's word and, 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 and in God's presence and their, in their daily life. And, and here's what this song is saying. It's saying happy is the person who lives life God's way. That God's way is the way to happiness. It's how this psalm starts off. Now look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. Right? And so living life God's way has rewards. Remember last week when we talked about Psalm 127 and we were talking about working with God and we said working with God is worth the work, right? The living life God's way, the, the rewards are we have this, 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 this we, you know, we live life God's way. Like just in doing that, there are certain rewards that come with it that make the work worth it. And this is the same idea here that you can be productive and faithful. At the same time, you don't have to be unfaithful to be productive. And look at the rest of verse 2. It says, it says um, uh, you shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. So verse 2 is, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it will be well with you. There's that word Asher again, right? You will be happy. Now the writer of this song is going to give an example of what happy looked like to them in their culture, right? Because you may read this and you're like, that does not look like happiness to me, right? That's okay, right? Because this is what happiness looks like to them. Listen to what he says in verse 3. He says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. In other words, there will be lots of kids in your house. Behold, thus says the man... Uh, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And so what this songwriter is doing is saying, is saying in, in our world, at, all, at our time, this is what makes a happy life. Now, how many ancient Hebrews do we have in here today? Right? None. And that's what he's saying. He's saying in, in his life, because this is all that, that he knows is, is his life. And he's saying in our world, this is what makes a happy life. Because remember, and we talked about this last week, in ancient Hebrew, like, like there were no 401ks, right? There was no retirement plan. The more kids you had, the more chances you had that somebody was going to take care of you in your old age. Right? And in a primarily agricultural community, you needed lots of kids to do the work around the, the farm, around the ranch, whatever it was they had. My mom uh, was one of 13 kids because they were an agricultural community. She remembers picking cotton with her mother who had a baby strapped on her back picking cotton. They had 13 kids because they needed that many kids to do the work. My, my mom quit school in the eighth grade to go to work to help support the family. See, if my grandfather was writing this, he would agree wholeheartedly with this because that was his world. Our world is different, right? This example can look different. As a matter of fact, here's what Jesus does. Jesus takes this idea and expands on it. 
right? Jesus takes this idea about God's way being the way to happiness and expands on it. Because you see, in Jesus' time, not everybody was a rancher or a farmer. The the Romans had occupied the nation of Israel and people were merchants and and tax collectors. You just look at his disciples and you get this this picture of what the the community was like. There were fishermen and and there were people of all all types of people that did all types of things. And so what Jesus does is he paints a picture that I think is what happiness can look like for anyone of any time. And so, so if you want, you can turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to do verses 3 through 12. And it's a really popular sermon that Jesus preached, right? And, and he gives this picture that God's way is the way to happiness. And, and guess what word he uses over and over again? He uses the word blessed. But guess what it means in the Greek? Happy! It means happy, which is, which, is, which is amazing. So Jesus is going to talk about this. He's going to talk about being happy and what God's way to happiness looks like. And he's going to talk about them to a group of people that are oppressed under Roman rule. A group of people that following him makes them outcasts. A group of people that are downtrodden in many ways, that are unpopular in almost every way you can imagine. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to show them this. That God's way meets you even in your unhappy places. And when you allow God to meet you in those unhappy places, you actually get to be happy. Because you see, here's the deal. We think we can't be happy because life is hard. Right? Well, guess what God does? Guess what Jesus does when life is hard? He gives you more of himself if you let him. Right? He invites you in this sermon of Jesus that we're going to look at. He invites you to find your happiness in him, even in the hardest, most unhappy places. Like anybody have unhappy places in your life these days? What would happen if we invited Jesus to meet, those in those unha- to meet us in those unhappy places? Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read through these verses, and I'm going to do it in a couple of different translations. I'm going to do it in the ESV translation, uh, and, the, and, the, and then I'm going to do it in the message translation. Let me tell you what that means. The Bible that we have that's in English is not the Bible that was given to Moses. Right? Moses didn't read English. He read Hebrew. In the original text that, that, that Moses got, in the original text that Moses and the prophets, and they wrote, they wrote primarily in Hebrew. That's the original language of the Old Testament. The New Testament was written in Greek because that was to a whole different community at a whole different time. What we've done as, as English speakers is we've taken the most original documents that we can find, and we've translated those into English, which is why you have all the different translations of the Bible. Like I use the NIV, the, the New International Version, as my own personal devotional reading Bible. And, and, and that's written at an eighth grade reading level. The, the committee that did that, the group of scholars that did that, were, were specific about what they wanted to do. They wanted to make a version of the Bible that was accessible to, to more and more people. And so they limited themselves to an eighth grade reading level for your for you teachers out there, like I kind of geeked out on that, right? Like, like determining the reading level of, of a version of the Bible. What that meant, though, is that their vocabulary had to be more simple, 
and more picturesque. That's probably one of the reasons I love it. I have this inner artist in me, and I love pictures. The ESV, the version that I preach from, they bumped it up to an 11th grade reading level, which meant they could use more precise words. And so the NIV is like, for the artist in us, the ESV, the English Standard Version, is like for the engineer in us, right? The surgeon in us, right? And so it's much more specific. Now the message, the message is its own category because it is what we call a paraphrase, right? And what a paraphrase is, is Eugene Peterson, the, the guy who, who, who wrote it, he took the original languages and instead of worrying about translating it precisely, he said, what would somebody say today if they were saying this out loud? Put it in kind of common language. And so I love reading that paraphrase with a translation because it helps me kind of balance the two and it helps me see kind of what Eugene Peterson was talking about with the message. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read both of those versions, the ESV of Jesus's sermon, and I'm going to read the message version of that. And, and here's what I, I want us to do as I, as I read those. I want you to pay attention to both versions, right? And I want you to listen for your unhappy place in here. Because I guarantee you Jesus speaks to it. No matter your size, right? We all struggle. Do we have a wasp flying around up in here? Okay, great. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There may be more. We don't know. They've been here for decades. To date, they haven't stung anybody. You might be the first. So who knows? Right? No matter your size, we all have these big emotions in us. And we all have these big, unhappy places and real challenges in our broken world. And Jesus is going to show a way of meeting us in those unhappy places. Because each place is going to get a special treatment. Well, let's see. Let's let Jesus kind of meet us there. So, uh, ESV first and then the message. So, here's what ESV Verse 3 says, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. All right, sound familiar? Have you heard this sermon before? Here's what the message says. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and more of his rule. Anybody here at the end of your rope? Right? Is that your unhappy place? Well, at the end of your rope, there's more of Jesus. There's more of Jesus at the end of your rope. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The message version. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Anybody grieving these days. Here's why grief exists. God gave us this emotion of grief to show us what we love. Because you only grieve the loss of what you love. And when you're grieving, right, Jesus meets you there. When my father died, completely unexpected, Jesus met me in a very, very special way. You see, he will turn mourning into dancing. Verse 5 says this, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
message version, you are blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Right? Anybody... Wait, I lost my place. Anybody facing the particular despair that comes from comparison? Right? Social media makes money off of it. Here's the problem with comparison. Comparison always destroys contentment. Always. You see, you, church, are God's masterpiece. You are one of his great creations. And Jesus sees exactly who you are. And he sees exactly who you're becoming. And he delights in you. Now you'll hear me say this here because I believe it to be true that God not only loves you, he likes you because of Jesus. Which means that in Jesus we have God's smile. See, Jesus meets you in your comparison. Verse 6 says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The message says this, You're you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. Anybody tired these days? Anybody just done? Well, Jesus can meet you in your weariness. And he's there. So you can get nourished in his his presence. You can be nourished in his presence. How about this one? Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The message says, blessed, you're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, like full of care, you find yourself cared for. So at the moment of caring for others, you also find yourself cared for. So let me ask you, anybody caring for others? Anybody in that season of life where you're caring for your parents who, who have cared for you? Anybody, anybody carrying the burdens of other people? You see, in this, Jesus cares for you. And he cares for you in a special way reserved for those who are caring for others. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You're blessed when you get when you you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. That's what Eugene Peterson says. Then you will see God in the outside world. Listen, anybody doing some soul work these days? Right? If so, that you then you know this can be slow work. It can be tedious work. It can be agonizing work. Long-suffering is a good biblical word for it. But it can also be beautiful work. Beautiful work. You see, Jesus meets us in our inside world, our soul, so that we can understand the outside world with clarity. 
Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And the message says you are blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Anybody tired of fighting? Anybody tired of seeing everybody else fight? Peacemaking is hard work. Peacekeeping is easy, right? But peacemaking is hard work. And as followers of Jesus, we get to be makers and promoters of peace. Helping others to cooperate. Y'all listen, even if it's just your kids, those kids are going to change the world. Teach them how to cooperate. Siblings, do the work. Peacemaking, right? Because when we do, Jesus meets us there and he shows us who we are in him. Now listen to this one. This is the last one. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets, the prophets Uh, who were before you. Now this is the message version. Blessed are you when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, couch yourself blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they're uncomfortable. You can be glad when this happens. Give it cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. You see, some trouble we can't avoid. And it comes to us simply because we say yes to Jesus. Which means in our workplace, we make different choices. It means with our friendships and and relationships, we make different choices. And with that can come name calling. Like, like I don't know if it's here in Asheville, but in the South, like Bible thumper was the term. Are you one of those Bible thumpers? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever thumped my Bible. Is that something I'm supposed to do? Like, like what, 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 what is this, right? But when people call us names... Because of saying yes to Jesus, we can feel sad and we can feel angry, but Jesus meets us there. And not only Jesus meets us there, you're part of a club that all the prophets and all the witnesses have been there. And they meet us there too, and what they're saying is they're saying, welcome to the club. We're so glad you're here. You see, when we feel the most left out, Jesus meets us and shows us we're actually part of a big, big group. See, Jesus meets us in our unhappy place to show us that God's way is the way to happiness. So let's turn back to Psalm 128 and finish this up real quick because we get to see another word for blessed that I think, I think is what puts happy into perspective. It's what puts it into, uh, in, into a frame because it takes another truth that we need to understand about God's way being the way to happiness. And I think you'll need it for Jesus to meet you in, in your unhappy place. Psalm 128 verse 5 and 6 says this. It says, the Lord bless you from Zion. And may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. And may you see your children's children 
and peace be upon Israel. And so what this, what this last verse does is it pictures the impact of what a happy life can be, a, a life lived in God's way to happiness, that it brings good to a city, it brings good to life, and it brings good to the generations that follow. It is this, this big, uh, this, this big kind of ripple effect. But let me point out something else, that the word here for blessed is actually different than Asher. It's the word Barak, right? Now the word Barak means this. It means blessed of the Lord. Now, I don't know about y'all, but it's a little pet peeve of mine, maybe because I was a school teacher, but I think this goes back to actually being a student. My teachers used to get on to me because they said, you can't use the word in the definition of the word, right? Anybody ever hear that? Like we do that like uh, at, at uh, my in-law's house whenever we're playing word games like bananagrams. My mother-in-law is brilliant at making up words. Right? And usually it's a real word, but she'll just spell it wrong. And so she quickly makes up another word. And like she'll put the word like L-A-U-V-E, which isn't a word. Right? And we'll go, what, what is that? She goes, to lave. Lave. It's lave. We're like, what does lave mean? She goes, you know, to lave. That's what it means. <laughs> so we all laugh and we're like, that's not helpful. No, you don't get the point. Right? Right? So, so using the word blessed and the definition of Barak didn't help me. I did some digging to see what this Hebrew picture was. And what it means in, dealing, in, in, in digging a little bit deeper is it has this picture of kneeling down. It's submitting yourself is what Barak means. And so blessed is the one who is submitted to the Lord, who kneels down to the Lord. It's, and, and that it's not just about you. Like happiness isn't about you. This word is this image capturing this of God reaching down to us. It's, it's almost like this two-way picture that God kneels down to us as we kneel down to him. It's us facing a God who is already facing us is this picture of blessed. And this is the way to God's happiness. This is how Jesus meets us in our unhappy places. And here's why this is important. If happy meant like smiles and hashtag blessed and all of that, we could try and do that of our own effort, right? We could try to just fake it till we make it, put a smile on, and life would be good. But if you've ever tried that, you know that doesn't work. That's exhausting, right? This word shows us that our happiness isn't ours to work for. That our happiness is ours to receive. That's where our happiness is. Right? Because sometimes we think about this position of happiness as like the perfect selfie. Right? Capturing this moment. It's about something that we do. It's hands in the air. It's jumping up and down. It's when our team wins. Like that's happiness. But what if happiness isn't about this? What if it's not a position? What if it's more of a posture of kneeling? Right? What if, what if happiness is found in submitting ourselves to God and to his ways? You see, happiness isn't based on an emotion. It's based on this posture before God. And so the question I asked at the beginning of the sermon is, is how far are you willing to go to experience God's happiness? Are you willing to humble yourself before God? Are you willing to submit yourself to God's ways? Because here's what I'm going to ask us to do. I'm going to ask us to do that. I'm going to ask us to, to humble ourselves before God, and I'm going to ask us to get on our knees and kneel before God. Not yet, though, so hold on. 
Because I want you to know you don't have to do this with us. You don't have to join us in this because we're going to kneel before God and we're going to put our palms up, which is a posture of receiving, but it really is your choice. And let's be honest, there's some of you like getting down on your knees is fine. Getting up is going to be the issue, right? All right, we'll help you. That's all right. But physically, though, if getting down on your knees is too hard, don't. Just join us with palms raised. And if getting down on your knees is too much right now, that's okay. I get it because, because some of you, like, when I talk about that, and number one, you're a follower of Jesus and it still makes you nervous. But some of you have never said yes to Jesus and you're wondering what in the world is about to happen. And you've come to this place and you're not even sure about church, whether you're joining us online or, or in person. You're not, you're not sure about this, this Jesus that we keep talking about. And your experience with Jesus, people, has left you very confused, Right? Maybe you saw people at the Capitol when they were raiding the Capitol holding up Bibles and it confused you about Jesus' followers. I get it. It confused us. Right? You see, your experience maybe with church has left a really bad taste in your mouth. And if that's you... As a pastor, I'm so proud that you're here today. I'm so glad that you're listening in. I'm so glad that you're watching because it is, it is a huge step and I get it and I see you and I know. And what we're about to do is take this physical posture, right, to show a spiritual one. That's all that we're doing. It might be a little bit embarrassing, but it is humbling. And sometimes the path to being humble before God is a touch of humiliation before people. And so getting on our knees is, is an act of that. And what we're going to do when we're there is we're going to invite Jesus to meet us in our unhappy place. Because here's the deal. Without Jesus, we're all a bunch of hypocrites. Right? We're all a bunch of greedy, self-centered, egotistical, and arrogant people without Jesus. And with Jesus, we're only slightly not those things. <laughs> All right? We're in process here. You see, with Jesus, the big difference is we're forgiven for those things. Because what we know is that when, when we are with Jesus, we are with the God of the universe who loved us and created us and gave himself for us. With Jesus, we know that God has knelt for us because Jesus became human for us. And he died the death of a criminal so that our sins could be paid for, so that, so that we could and can have and experience this good and, and, and personal relationship with the God who loves us. And so we take this position because Jesus took it before us. And maybe you would like to join us, and if so, feel free to pray and in this moment experience Jesus, maybe for the first time, and say yes to him. And yes to following him. And so if you would like to, let's kneel. And, and, and what we'll do is we will kneel and, and, and we will put our hands out. And we will close our eyes and I will pray for us. And, and you can feel free to, to pray too. Um, but let's invite Jesus to meet us in these places. So Jesus, you taught a sermon about what it means to be happy. To be at the end of our rope, to, to be exhausted 
from the world around us, to be exhausted from the world in us, to, to, to care for others. And you talked about those things as places where we can experience happiness with you. And Jesus, we believe you. To you. Because you are the only one worthy of our submission. You are the only one worthy to be followed. You are the only one who loves us and cares for us in a way that, that nothing else can. No person can, no other drug can, no other philosophy can, only you. And in you, Jesus, we submit. In you, Jesus, we offer our lives. In you, Jesus, we say yes. And would you meet us in those unhappy places? Would you show us who we are in you? Jesus, as we sit in your presence, as we kneel in your presence, would you make your presence known? Would you speak the words we need to hear to us? Words of comfort, words of provision, words of healing, words of truth. Words of care and love and mercy. Jesus, would you continue to meet us in our unhappy places? Would you continue to let us kneel before you throughout our week, throughout our days, throughout our lives, and invite you into those places with us? In Christ's name I pray, amen.